0: All right, well, welcome, uh, this is episode five, right Robert, or episode
1: yeah, four? I think it's five.
0: Episode five of uh, Down the Rabbit Hole with uh, the Heavy Metal Podcast where we try to take high-level baseball concepts and break them down and talk to people who can help us break those down to help pe- people's players and coaches uh, get better know more stuff about the game of baseball. Uh, today, we have a, another guest, a good friend of ours, someone we've uh, gotten to know pretty well over the last couple of weeks, uh, Tim, and it's nicely correct. Saying that yeah,
2: nicely. Tim
0: nicely <laughs> with V Flex Sports. And our conversation today is going to revolve around the brain and hitting. And so, kind of get us started here, Tim. Why don't you start us with your biography and let uh, everybody know uh, who you are, where you're from, and, and, and all the pertinent information?
2: Uh, I'm an East Tennessee guy, uh, just a regular old uh, American, you might, might say. Uh, Grew up in East Tennessee around the Knoxville area. Played baseball in high school, basketball. Uh, Multi-sport guy. Uh, Jumped out of there and uh, played baseball at the junior college level. Jumped in and played baseball at uh, Middle Tennessee State University. And uh, grabbed grabbed some degrees there and uh, jumped out. uh, Coached high school baseball, softball, basketball. I taught sociology, psychology, world history, economics, political science, geography, Uh, just a bunch of different subjects, and then uh, really just jumped out of the sports world and tried to make some money, you know, and jumped out of uh, education. There wasn't much money in education at the time, so I built hotels for 15 years, uh, churches, houses, banks, schools, I built everything in the industrial side, and uh, one of my employees had an accident in 1999 that sparked my journey down the neurology path. Uh, She fell while we were erecting the trusses at the Tennessee Smokies Baseball Stadium, which is a double-A stadium for the Chicago Cubs here in our hometown. Uh, she fell 21 feet, hit head first onto concrete, and uh, when I got to, her blood was coming out both of her ears, and uh, she was posturing, which told me uh, that she had a brain injury, and she took a breath a minute uh, for 22 minutes, and uh, we normally take about 25 to 30 breaths a minute, but Tammy took a breath a minute, and hit uh, put my life on a different course. You know, I didn't start out... You know, trying to develop V flex, or I didn't have this big, huge desire to develop hitting tools or pitching tools or anything until Tammy failed. And then when Tammy failed, uh, I dove deep into the brain. And for 20 years, that's all I've done is I daydream about the brain, I contemplate the brain, I think continually on the brain. I'm trying to understand it, you know, from the inside out. And It's been, uh, I mean, I really haven't come out. I mean, I'm still in there. You know, I mean, some guys go down a subject and, you know, they, they come right back out and they go back into normal society. I never did that. I haven't been able to do that yet. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to open as many doors while I'm in there as I can. And, uh, I'm not afraid of the rabbit hole. You know, I just run, you know, and, If there's a door that doesn't want to open well i'll beat on it for a while see if it'll open or not i'll tickle it i kick it (laughs) i knock it around and if it doesn't then i'll go to the next door because i don't know you you never know where the answer is going to lie so you just keep moving but that's a little bit about myself you know Uh, our company's been highly successful i think you know to have no advertising no major push or backer you know for v-flex we have an angel investor that's been an awesome guy for us brian mcdavid and he set us. Uh, he set us on solid financial ground. We've been in pretty good shape. You know, we've got twelve major league teams that train on some of our stuff. We've got probably three hundred and fifty colleges that train on our stuff, from baseball to co- baseball to softball. So it's been a pretty good run so far. You know,
0: and and for those, I mean, we're a user of your products here, and and I'm obviously a believer in the things you're you're putting out there, and and. Uh... I'm glad you use red rabbit hole. That's one of the reasons we're having you down here. You know our conversations we've had off camera uh, tend to go hour longer trying to figure out. And we have a text stream between the three of us, where we're you know Rob and I are constantly asking you questions. But for the people who don't know what VFlex is, right? What uh, what is VFlex? Uh, what does it do? What does it purport to do? Kind uh, read, of read our listeners in on that.
2: <laughs> well, it is. Uh... It's a series of prompts, basically, uh, nonverbal prompts that, uh, I'll just read a little uh, thing I wrote last night when you gave me that uh, list of what we were going to talk about today, a series of nonverbal prompts uh, that uh, create the path of least resistance in the brain, uh, which in turn helps us find the fastest way to the reward system and it can't violate and doesn't violate the law of diminishing returns you know so it has to be extremely efficient you know uh, if it's going to help the brain so when i started you know i started like any other coach coaching like i was coached you know i was given verbal clues explicit drills and all of these things and i was hoping that the guys would listen to me and you know, they would make these physical changes in their body according to what I was telling them. And uh, that's not what VFlex is. VFlex is a... You can put duct tape over your mouth and VFlex would still work. <laughs> you don't have to be an expert.
0: It might work a little uh, better, right, to, if we duct tape our mouths, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, the brain really doesn't care what language you speak. If you speak it in English or French or German or Spanish, it, That's not the way that the visual system works. It doesn't work in a cognitive language. It works in a impulse language. And if you don't know how to set these impulses up, then nothing makes sense to the brain because you violate all of its principles for trying to find the path of least resistance. And our world is really just the opposite. I mean, we're trying to create these constraints that basically uh make the brain work too hard and it doesn't want to work hard it just wants the reward it doesn't care a thing about working it just wants to be rewarded it's lazy so to create these paths of least resistance i developed these rings that have the ability to uh, bring the peripheral vision to an excited state and therefore help the central vision process faster And that's uh, basically what B Flex is. And we use it for pitching and for hitting. uh, But basically that's that's the overview of what it is.
1: It's funny you made the reference about the duct tape uh, over the coach's mouth. Uh, We had an instance, uh, I think it was like last night with uh, our new hitting trainer, McKenna. And uh, I made the comment to her like if you, you, you listen to us and our instructors aren't saying anything and we share a facility with like four other instructors and all you hear are all of these like verbal cues and cue salad coming from all the other cages. Uh, it was just interesting to, to hear all you hear from ours is, is dudes just barreling the ball and, and from theirs you're hearing one swing and probably 15, 20 seconds of verbal cues. Uh, and going, yeah. going along that line yeah. uh, goes into my first question like, so how, how does the brain learn a skill like hitting
2: I don't know that it learns to be honest with you I mean when you go back to its foundation because it's a self teacher and you know it's not it's really hard to make it do one specific thing it likes to do all things and do do them well and when you use the word learn you know you you pull you pull from cognitive background, you know, I taught psychology for three years, and I understood how the mind worked. I understood how to manipulate mental thought processes and motivate people on the cognitive side, but that's not what hitting is. Hitting uh, at its core uh, is basically stimuli response, and I don't think anybody knows how the brain taught itself how to hit you know i think it can be used in a lot of different ways i think the brain could use those modalities and those pathways for tons of different applications we're just using them to hit a a baseball you know so i don't think they're in just specifically genuinely attuned to to that function you know
0: is 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 that so is what you're saying is there's no memory applied to hitting, so is 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 each pitch a brand new function, or is the brain storing memory uh, based upon previous models?
2: From from what I can uh, reach back and research and and find is that in its present, in in its present, while it's standing in the box, uh. It has to process current information along a pristine canvas of information. So when you look at the quantifiable processes of time and what time and how time is expressed in the brain, each pitch is an individual pitch. There's never been two identical pitches. So you can't say that it's pulling it from memory because it doesn't want memory. It's trying to build reflexes so it doesn't have to use thought or memory. So I think we're just seeing this evolution of the human brain, you know, uh, learning or teaching itself, you know how to process more ver- visual cues at any one particular time. So no, I don't think I don't think the driving component is memory at all just the ability for the brain to respond instantaneously, because at the speed of light, nothing can evolve. You know, nothing evolves at the speed of light. Light doesn't age. I mean, the basic component of light that it's traveling so fast is that, you know, uh, you could take, for example, in a certain span of space, A person could be 400 feet from you and slam the car door and you would see the car door slam before you hear the car door slam because light travels faster than sound but when you get within 50 feet of a person and slam a car door you do not see that delay the brain has tricked itself it has created these unique pathways so that within this particular span of space, all things appear to be in instant time, but that's only an illusion. I mean, there is a delay. The brain just won't let you see the delay because we would be in a reverberation of space and time. It would always be vibrating. We would see the delays of physical reaction, the delays of sound reaction, and the delays of light reaction. So, but the brain has found some way to fix that, so that we actually live yeah. in a really unique reality, perceptual reality.
0: We're going off script, because I think that's what the rabbit hole demands, right? Um, it does at times. Yeah. Uh, so is this delay occurring at 60 feet, six inches, right? Is this delay that the brain has Uh, tricked us and is it is it a benefit to hitting or a detriment to hitting
2: it is a it must be a benefit because we can hit a baseball okay Mm -hmm. but we can't explain how it's done because what we're seeing is not what is happening and that's the problem with science you know and now that we can see the speed of an electrical impulse in the brain we know that the brain is basically making all of the adjustments prior to your making contact. And therefore, I mean, the brain is, it's found the shortcut to be able to do what we we're we doing, which is hit a baseball. But the numbers will tell you that you can't cognitively make those physical adjustments in time And hit a baseball it's like the video you sent me yesterday i guess it was robert was that yeah yesterday uh, robert
1: yeah that was one of our kids that i had filmed with the with our edutronic camera and and i was really amazed at kind of the movement solution he had made to get to that ball because it looked like he was going to get jammed but he kind of you you see the video kind of leaned his torso back to create some space to get his hands in and he was able to barrel the ball up
2: yeah you can see all of those physical movements You know with these new slow motion cameras and uh even in what we would consider real time but you have to understand he his cognitive mind didn't do that you know there's no way that his cognitive mind could work at the speed to make those adjustments so how did the brain what did the brain interpret from the release of the pitch or prior to the release of the pitch in order for him to be able to pull that off. And how did the brain know which neurotransmitters to send to which muscle group so that you know his body would move in that motion to actually pull that feed off, which is awesome. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm a brain worshiper. I'm a God worshiper. But man, the thing that he created for us to play this game uh, leave you scratching your head, really. Because what you see is not what, I guess you're seeing a print out of what the brain saw is what you're seeing.
0: Well, with that in mind, right? which, you know, how, how, how do we build and how do we develop better training modalities and methods to center around this, you know, you and I, you know, Robert, all kind of agree. I was reading, uh, I think that one of, I uh, may have been your book. I, you've sent us a couple of items, and so they're kind of run together. You know, the all of sports, athletes have gotten bigger, stronger, and faster, and we're starting to see. I was watching a little bit of the uh, slam dunk competition. It's amazing what athletes can do now that they couldn't have done thirty years ago. But yet, baseball saw its last 400 hitter in Ted Williams, um, and I think that 400—you know—the evolution of baseball. I think the 400 hitter can make a make his way back into the game. So, with that in mind, how do we build training, and how do we do? How do we build the 400 hitter? What training environments build the 400 hitter, in, in your opinion?
2: They—they they will be implicit environments. But uh, you'll have to allow the brain to designate the reward and how it's going to reward itself in that environment. That's what implicit basically is. You don't get to choose what the brain rewards and what it doesn't reward. It's smarter than us. It knows it can hit a baseball. We can't. I mean, we think we're hitting the baseball, but the brain knows different. The brain knows that it's hitting the baseball and it knows what it had to do to hit the baseball. It knows, uh, it could have taken a cue from the right fielder to hit the baseball because at the speed of light, the information from the right fielder is reaching your retina at the exact same time that the pitcher is reaching your retina. It's a one dimensional canvas. I mean, when the brain looks out into space, it's not seeing the depth. It's making the depth. But it's making it from a, a single canvas. So anything on that canvas can be used by the brain to fire off you know, a swing. You know, it could use the shortstop's movement, it could use the left fielders movement, it could use the third baseman's movement. It could move it could use anybody's movement at the speed of light to generate these swings that we're seeing. But We want to be able to build that environment so that these neurons that carry that information are more efficient. They can carry more data faster and better, and that's what you've seen in the physical world. You've seen everybody hit the weight room, get stronger. You've seen them go into randomized drills to where, I mean, the muscles don't know what's going on. They're training them like we're trying to do in the batting cage, which is no more than three strikes in a row. You know, you should never know what pitch is coming next. That's what keeps the brain excited, is it won't, It doesn't want to know what's coming next. It doesn't want a memory. All it wants to do is be able to respond in the instant of time, because it's working much, much, much faster than your cognitive mind is. Therefore to strengthen these neurons that are carrying your spatial information, uh, you have to put them in a constraint environment, which means you have to take the electrical energy that's between you and the pitcher and charge it. You have to force the brain to fire in specific sequences, So that its neurons are exercising while you are taking batting practice. If you do not exercise those spatial neurons that are building that invisible space between you and the pitcher, then you're not exercising the brain. You're simply doing what everybody else has done for the last 17 million years, which is we haven't learned how to exercise the neurons that carry the data. That's what we've tried to teach them how to store more data, create more luggage, create more closets in a house, but we haven't redesigned the house,
1: so is you know that, what I mean. Is that where like, uh, it, it could inefficiencies and like perceptual input uh, have uh, anything, any effect on it? Like if someone has trouble with specific eye movements or their visual perceptions off, or maybe they have blurry vision, or uh, those things that could play into effect or even create like a movement bias because the information you get is, might not be as accurate as you think?
2: Yeah, you'll always have a movement bias of some kind because of the way your gaze is. I mean, we all have a natural gaze. Some are up, some are down, some are left, some are right, some are in other ways. And it does affect how your locomotions express themselves. It depends on how your swing is. And you're you're correct there. I, I saw you put something on... Twitter the other day about that, uh, about the vestibular ocular reflex. You know, a, a lot of the inefficiencies in the visual system are because the right eye and the left eye don't communicate very well. You know, you have a lazy eye and a strong eye. Now, when you when you begin to use a V-flex system, the larger rings, the smaller rings, the medium-sized rings, you're basically applying the same amount of electrical impulse to the weak eye as you are to the strong eye and that's done in the brain that's not done at the eye level now you can do it at the eye level you can put a patch over one eye and make the the weaker eye do work but then it'll have trouble coming back and communicating because it's uh, it's not the dominant eye it's never been yielded the responsibility of vision. That Therefore, makes,
1: that the makes, best way to train. I was gonna say that makes a lot Pardon? of sense because that what you said makes a lot of sense because when we've had guys do the eye patch stuff and then we take the eye patches off and have them go hit with just both eyes, they usually struggle the first couple rounds uh, or after doing the eye patch stuff. It's almost like they have yeah. to. Yeah. Well, out I mean, I
2: That's part of what I where I study a lot, man. I study because i know that how we're a- approaching the brain i know that our devices force both eyes to communicate more because they're basically under the same electrical constraint okay i've never tried to to patch any kids eyes or anything like that because i wanted them to to see and to learn how to communicate under the same constraint so And that's, you know, we had my first kid that I trained uh, with my system that had a, a, a lazy eye. He had struck out 22 times. He would never touched a ball. And he was going and taking all kind of eye therapies with his uh, ophthalmologist. And it was like his mother called and said, hey, can you help my son hit a baseball? He's never touched a baseball and." In- little league. And I said, let me try. So I've trained him on V flex for a couple of weeks. Uh, he gets his first hit. It's not too long until uh, he hits one off the fence. And then it's not too long until uh, halfway through the season, he never strikes out again, you know, and when he went back to uh, his therapist, they asked him what he'd been doing. And they told him V flex. And the issue was when he did a readalizer test, which gave the ability for his weak eye to stay on the page, because his strong eye could stay on the page and stay in, in sync with what he was reading, but his weak eye couldn't. But his readalizer exam changed dramatically during that time. And, you know, I've spoken with some guys in Memphis this past week about using ours as a therapy for these weaker neurological impulses from the weak eye but you don't strengthen it by covering the strong eye it it doesn't work that way and they do they do the exact same training that uh virtual reality guys do all of their therapies are basically on a tv screen or a computer screen and i know it won't work can't work you know, the computer screen's not capable of producing a probability wave. Therefore, the, I don't care if it's the strong eye or the weak eye, neither one of them will be processing anything of value because it's a reflection. It's not a probability wave. So.
1: That's uh, It's interesting, you, you bring up the lazy eye and stuff. We, I have, I've had kids before that they've either had a lazy eye or they've been legally blind in one eye. And so when we would do the eye patch, like, yeah. They they would still be able to hit, and they would say, well, "I don't even, I can't even see it. I don't understand why I'm still hitting it."
2: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the brain's a unique thing. We don't know how it functions completely just yet. We won't for a long time. Don't know exactly how long it'll be, but it'd be a long time before we get it completely figured out.
0: You you had mentioned earlier that the brain is is essentially lazy, right? Um, yeah. Well, uh, kind of help walk me through this idea that if the brain is lazy, why would it choose to repair that lazy eye if it could just allow the dominant eye to work? Uh, I, I'm having, I guess, you know, in my limited capacity, having trouble squaring that. Does that make sense? So it would seem to me that the the, yeah, the process of the process of repairing it the won't. eye, so we That's have to force issue. it. Okay. So
2: it's, it it's a, it won't fix itself. It won't fix itself because the path of least resistance is to cut the eye off. It should get weaker as you get older. It won't get stronger. Uh, It'll take more and more responsibility away from it because the the stronger eye can actually take over that load. But now, because of the way they've treated this in the therapy setting, you know, uh, they didn't have a chance of fixing it. They don't even know if the brain will actually do it, to be honest with you. From what I've seen, how the the therapists have worked with these kids and adults as well, normally they they clip the eye muscles to try to help the help that we help that weak eye. You know, uh, have a different gaze from time to time and change the signaling. But that's why what we're doing with VFlex, we do believe that. It's going to help both eyes communicate with each eye better, and because the the eye is not having to work more, it's just responding to a, an electrical stimuli that we're we're providing for it, a neuro electrical stimulus for it.
1: And uh, so, eyes working together, that's isn't that the, that's binocular ri- rivalry, correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah yeah you? but it, it, it uh, you have to force it to do things just like uh, strike recognition that we're talking about for hitters. you know uh, the brain right now thinks that it's probably got the, the best remedy for everything because it's it's been able to do it. It's been able to reward itself for hitting, et cetera, et cetera. but uh, in order to engage it, at a neurological level you do have to force it to fire these electrical impulses that it will perceive as you know a, a path to a faster greater reward more doubles more triples more home runs basically and more walks you know because that's what we're after I mean, we're, we're looking for that fast reward you know for for the brain
0: and you you'd mentioned briefly uh, ineffectiveness of, of uh, as you saw it as VR platforms, to, to train the brain. Um, right. I touch on that a little bit more, because that's, uh, that's something right now that if you, you follow hitting Twitter and, and, and things of that nature, where a lot of uh, big names and, and people are signing up and to use these VR platforms for strike recognition. And in talking with you and hearing you just now, uh, you're not sold on the fact that those things will uh, will work. Uh, why is that?
2: No, they can't work. That's why I'm not sold on them. I mean, they violate so many laws of physics and laws of biophysics, and laws of neurophysics, that there's no way that the brain would ever engage in that augmented form of reality. You know, it, it can't do it. It won't do it.
0: So it's not it's not uh, effective at tricking the brain into seeing as as a as a real thing that's happening. The brain is aware that it's dealing in a virtual setting.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I sent a video to Robert there uh, from UCLA where you know they're working with rats in virtual reality settings. You know, and sixty percent of spatial neurons shut off during these virtual sets. I mean. That's extremely dangerous. I mean, my God, man, Uh, the brain can function, you know, in these augmented states, but we really don't know the long-term effects of VR. I mean, it's only been around for a short period of time. We do know that there's quite a bit of nausea from time to time. There's these displacements of uh, balance and different things and headaches, uh, people that use them, you know, and those are short-term things. But if you expose that brain to that stimuli a long time, I mean, we really don't know what the brain's going to do in that setting.
0: Well, we uh, your you know, you got with your psychology background. I I've read several things that, that suggest that our exposure to blue light uh, is, you know, triggers a fight or flight response in the brain constantly, and we can't we can't constantly be under that kind of an atmosphere, and that's why you see uh this the paper suggests why you see, you know, burnout and maybe suicides at a higher rate because what we've done in staring at computer screens and phones, you know, more than we ever did, uh, is not good long term for our mental health. And my, my my first pause on that is if we're gonna expose uh, expose athletes in an emotionally charged environment such as hitting a baseball in the bottom of the ninth and already put them under long term stress with their emotions that are blue light that that couldn't be long-term a good thing to do to an athlete. Uh, I didn't know the spatial neurons so. or, yeah, the spatial neurons and things of that nature were a little bit above my head, but that was always my uh, first approach to it. So I know Robert
1: had read some stuff about fighter pilots. Uh, yeah, usually uh, they they have a protocol where when they come out of the VR training module, they have to wait like a week before they can fly a jet to kind of allow their brain to recalibrate.
2: Yeah. Yeah, one of my brain trust guys uh, flew with the Blue Angels, uh, was a Top Gun, and spent hours training pilots and trained as a pilot himself, and I can vouch for that. You know, that's that's a true statement. Yeah, it just takes the brain time to acclimatize back to this spatial environment because billions and billions of neurons make space. We don't, the trick is we don't know how it makes it invisible. I mean, inside the brain, we don't even know what color space is. Outside the brain, in our perceptual reality, it's invisible. But it's a low resolution electrical field of some kind inside the brain. And we don't know how it even makes it invisible. You know, we don't know what color it is inside the brain.
1: Uh, moving into like we talked about a little bit about the training environments uh, so why do you think like hitting is is such a sacred cow like why is hitting environments or hitting training pretty much stayed the same or at least they've they maybe advanced a little bit but it's only it's always seemed to focus mostly on movement it's it seems like hitting instructions never really advanced past how well hitters move well it's been uh
2: I don't know. I mean, that's uh, – I don't want to talk bad about any coaches, man. You know, it's, it's been this way for a long time. Uh, and long time to me is like if you took every coach and you added up all their coaching years of experience and you put it in a big pool of coaching experience, how many years have we been coaching baseball? Well, on the top, chronologically, you know, we've been in baseball 150 years or so, something like that. Yeah. Uh, But when you add all of the coaches that have been coaching, it's over 20 million years of coaching experience. We've been coaching baseball basically for 20 million years uh, in experience, and nothing has changed, basically, because the neurons – that are making space haven't changed. I mean, we're not seeing in high resolution. We're not seeing in high def. We're still seeing in low resolution and low low def. Therefore, nothing has changed. If anything, the brain is trying to go even low, lower resolution because it's using more energy for other functions. Therefore, logic would tell you that we're going to get worse at baseball and not better at baseball. Over time, and I think that's what we're seeing with the rise in strikeouts over the last 25 years. It's not that pitchers are getting better, I think it's just that the batter's brains are allocating energies in different ways that they've never had to allocate energies for, and therefore it affects how we make space. Whether they've been used to making large buildings or they're sitting inside classrooms and not making enough space, they're not seeing enough electrical impulses to exercise their spatial neurons i don't really know but it is a it's definitely a sacred cow you just can't walk into a room and start talking neuroscience and hitting
1: yeah that you and know.
2: forget forget <laughs> forget it dude yeah we we've uh
1: yeah we we've, we've learned that the hard way yeah
2: yeah well i've been watching you i was just checking your head see if you got any knots on that head yeah
1: Well, <laughs> no, we we uh we definitely are, are kind of the black sheep of the building that we train at uh yeah like i said there's four other instructors and they all think that we're nuts well
2: you know uh my experience has been almost every time i go to a professional baseball team to train or to talk about v-flex you know there'll be uh, eight or ten guys there they'll have their neuro guys there their psycho guys there they'll have their physiology guys there they'll have everybody there you know and they're all Uh, really curious about expanding their knowledge base, but I can't say that they're really interested in expanding their application base. You know, I don't know that they really are functionally able to tell their hitting instructors, I want you to do this, this, and this. You know and this this and this because they've got guys that have been there for 25 and 30 years and that's their sacred cow i mean that's what they they trust these guys more than they trust science and it comes back to that buddy buddy system of, i'm going to trust this because it's the lesser of the two evils you know i'm still going to make a paycheck we're still going to have a decent team and nothing's going to really change so i mean this to me is a war of attrition I mean, I've been here for seven years, eight years now, and uh, I'm not going anywhere. I may branch out and go into uh, brain exercise for semi-conscious uh, patients, people that are have their eyes open, but their brains are not functioning at a cognitive level. I may branch out and do something different than I'm doing in sports right now, but uh, we're going to hang out here and do some hitting for a long, long time we got some we probably have another seven or eight products in the vault that we could bring out but there's no need in bringing them out if you if people don't understand what we do Mm -hmm. i got a call from uh a major d2 school yesterday in softball they've been to the world series they're really tough i mean they you should see their resume and i asked the coach i said uh do you know what implicit training is? And it was like, no. What is implicit training? <laughs> you know, and that's
0: yeah, like I, How do you how do you? It, it becomes a pretty difficult thing. We had Coach Bartlett on here with UT, and she said, uh, you know, as far as the barrier to entry, right? Because it's it's a very difficult thing as a guy who did coach um, to. Meet somebody like you, or or meet somebody like Robert on my end, and realize that a lot of what you taught the last fifteen years was wrong. Right? That that's a tough that's yeah. a tough moment, especially if you've had some success, right? Because you go, well, oh. how how bad could I be at what I'm doing? We've been successful, and uh, and somebody walks in and says, okay, well, by uh, by the way, you, the way you you achieve success, but you didn't achieve it on purpose. A lot of times, it just happened on accident with you know without your 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 with your input, so I I think that's another barrier to entry is uh once you start going down these rabbit holes, sometimes you have to go hat in hand and go like you, you know I I started coaching based upon what I was taught by some very well meaning people, right? You know it, it wasn't as if they were mean spirited or anything like that. They taught me what they thought that what they knew best at the time as to the best of their capabilities and. uh you know that doesn't make them any less of a coaching less of a person they're operating on the information they had but uh, i do feel in the coaching community as as more information becomes available the more we bury our head in the sand uh, then we do then that does become a fault of ours if that information yeah. is out there
2: and i've run into you know i ran into uh, my first 3 or 4 years i thought people would gravitate toward implicit training because of the data because, you know, when, when our chart started going straight up on strike recognition and ball efficiency, which meant your ability to take a ball, you know, anybody can hit the strike, basically, and we're great strike hitters, but very few people have the ability to desensitize these boundary areas in the brain so that the brain doesn't trigger on these boundary pitches, you know, so we collected quite a bit of data and worked on that on our research side didn't have to have that to get the patent you know the patent was based in science the patent was based in how these neurons function in the brain and and, you know it took a long time to get the patents that i have but they're based in science uh and you don't have to do a whole lot of testing you have to do a whole lot of proof of concept which means out in the field did it work in the field not in the laboratory but did it work in the field Therefore, you go out. You don't tell people you're testing them. You don't tell them anything. You just provide the bare minimum, throw batting practice to them, work with them. And I thought, man, people are gonna freaking love this stuff because <laughs> you know, you, you at the high school level, we were cutting strikeouts by fifty percent at the high school level. And it went, I wasn't talking or teaching or anything. I just gave them the tools and said, use these, these tools. Bye. And, uh, when I took the data to some of the more knowledgeable college coaches, the higher up guys and pro baseball and everything, it's like, man, they just threw the data out the door. It's like, you know, we don't want, you know, that's not how we make choices around here.
1: Well, I think, you I know? think a lot of it has to do, cause I, like I, I've been asked this question a few times, even in some interviews is how do you scale something like this out? And that, and it, it almost seems like. They they need some someone that's creative enough to to figure out how to scale it out across the organization because it's almost like if it doesn't fit the status quo or the model that we're currently using, and we can't just easily just throw it into the system and let it run itself. That's it doesn't seem like that's something they're willing to work with. Like they don't want to have to flip the script or go against the status quo.
2: No, but that's that's the beauty of implicit training is. Uh... If you just use the devices, the devices are what the brain's using for its information. I mean, that's the beauty of what I, what I made you draw last time about the star, you know, where the, the pieces never touch. I mean, you can't unsee the boundary that you try to create there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to you have to tell the brain where you want it to actually focus and in implicit training, you know, once you get past the basic 30 first 30 seconds, I mean, it's pretty easy to implement implicit training. You know, it's not easy to explain, but it's not easy to conceive either. You know, have your conceptual understanding of like Jared was saying, you know, everything that I thought I knew about baseball, I had to throw away, I mean, I had to i mean i I considered myself a fair coach, a good I kept up with all the latest, greatest pieces and parts, but man, I had to throw every bit of it away. I didn't get to keep anything, <laughs> nothing I mean, it's like everything all my great coaches that I love and they're my mentors. I just had to throw it all away and say, hey, there was a reason why they coached me that way. It's because that's the only way they knew to coach me. They didn't know anything about neuroscience. They didn't know anything about the brain. They didn't know anything about perception and reality or any of those things. And I just started along a new path. You know, and guys like you, you're going to make it, you know, I'm going to watch you uh, as you as you grow, and as I as I grow, I it's possible I make mistakes too. But I'm not afraid to make mistakes. I'm not taking I'm not giving away my right to be wrong, because there has to be some wrong there somewhere. You know, as you move through, you got to.
0: Right. We we teach our players that you know the the greatest growth potentials in failure. Right. We'll learn a lot from failure to complete a task or something and. And on the flip side, as coaches, we almost kind of bristle at the fact that we'll experience the same failure, and that'll be our learning curve as well. You yeah, know, that's right. It's a it's a difficult thing. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, I always say it's a stupid tax, and one day I'll be done paying the stupid tax. But today's not that day. <laughs>
2: that's right. No, no, it's not over yet, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you're not over. Uh, you're not. What other questions you got there, guys?
0: I, you know, I think we're pretty, I think we're good. We're right at the, the time that we like to go, unless Robert's got anything else. I know that we could keep this going. Uh, I know the last time the three of us talked, just, you know, on the phone, we were over an hour. And, uh, you know, Robert and I walked away with about a, 12 different questions that we scratched our head on for the next three weeks. And, uh, but, you know, if there's anything else, unless you want to add something to
1: this, you uh, I think it'd be good to add like where, you know, where can they find you yeah. on social media? Where can they find uh, information about your products uh, or anything like that?
2: Well, just, uh, we have a website, uh, com, And we're on Twitter at, uh, vflexsports as well. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't write a whole lot anymore. Uh, I do blog occasionally, but, uh, it has to be uh, really uh, interesting for me to write about it anymore, <laughs> you know. So uh, I do throw some things out there, but just go to the website uh, com, go back through the the history of the articles, and you'll see uh, quite a bit of things that'll make you scratch your head and maybe uh, send you down a new path or a rabbit hole, you might say. But, I mean, you're going to find solid ground. I mean, I've found solid ground. I'm just trying to build from the solid ground that I found in there, you know. And it's not pretty because it does go against what what the establishment believes in, you know, and how they teach and how they coach.
0: And, that, and I, I'm I'm with you, you on that because every everything that we've learned from you has led me to a different path and a different paper. Which answered some questions, which unlocked a whole different set of questions. Uh, you know, currently one of the things that uh, I'm really trying, I'm really interested in, is the idea of flow. You know, Doctor Chick set me eye and and that right there, and how to appropriately get the athlete into flow. And, and as you said, each one is unique. You know, each brain is unique in, in the way it responds to stimuli which, you know, goes down another rabbit hole of training environments, how individualized they have to be to get the brain to go to a flow state to make the movements as fast or as clean as they possibly can. And so that has been the exciting part, Uh, talking to you, is the idea that about the minute I have an answer, I've come across 12 more questions, Uh, you know.
2: You normally do that, and it's normally about, uh, you'll have five or six, maybe eight or ten, questions out of a out of a good find you know but that flow state is is critical for brain health not just for athletic health Mm -hmm. you know the lack of dopamine which triggers the flow state you know is a culprit in alzheimer's it's a culprit in parkinson's disease when the brain stops releasing that neurotransmitter we have problems and that's one of the the long-range goals of v-flex is to create these unique environments not just for baseball players but for you for me for my mom my dad the people in nursing homes people that need to be in flow states from time to time because their brain has quit going to flow but you have to be able to create these environments where the brain will say god that was freaking fun let's do it again tomorrow yeah but it, well, it can't be hard work, but it can. It has to excite the brain, and the brain has to learn something, or it has to do something that it's never done before, which is put shapes and sizes together and, and reformulate its world neuroelectrically, not with images, but with with space. Mm-hmm. Make it make things from space. Don't cost it anything.
0: <clears throat> right. It, it's 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 been an interesting and. Tim, I, I want to thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Thank you for, uh, as Robert's fond of saying, talking to two Dilberts from Amarillo, Texas. Uh, I'm a
2: Dilbert. Believe me, <laughs> I'm okay with it. I like being
0: Dilbert. <laughs> yeah. By the way, yeah, I think our first conversation, you said uh, uh, hillbilly from Tennessee. I said that's okay. It's a couple of rednecks from Texas, so those <laughs> those cross over fairly well.
2: Well, we're we're trying to live free. You know, it's what we're trying to do here. I know you guys are out there. And uh, I I appreciate you guys. You know, I'm drawn to you because you're brothers in Christ, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was a true epiphany from God when I I received the knowledge about how can we do something to help this population? You know, not just baseball players, but how can we help the brain? Because my, my cousin was in a coma for seven years, you know. And for seven years, I just prayed and asked the Lord, "Hey, man, how? What? What can I do? Have you got a task for me to do? Can you show me something where I can help this person that's lying there? Can I help their brain? And it won't, don't don't reflect it back to me. Just show me how you how you how you do this, Lord. You know, and that's that's what I've done. Is I've been able to create these strike zones from." electrical impulses that i knew nothing about but i studied and i've learned and the lord just opened my mind and said hey you you want to help let me show you how to help create create from nothing create the strike zone from this electromagnetic field inside the brain create one and that's what i've been doing that's why i never came out i love it in here and i love being delbert in there it's like the brain says boy, you're an idiot. You know that? I said, yeah. And isn't it it fun? Yeah. You know, so just let it go.
0: Well, again, thank you for your time. And, you know, I think as, as you can expect, you'll probably see more uh, emails and and texts back from me and Robert, the minute we get more questions. Uh, and we always appreciate willing to answer those and take time with us.
2: Well, you guys, uh, throw the hardest questions you've got at me. I appreciate them. And, uh, allow me to to be a part of what you guys do you know and let's just learn together that you no know, telling what door will open as we as we keep going down these little holes again okay
1: yes sir thank you thanks tim
2: thank you robert thanks jerry see you guys thanks.